So welcome to Grace this weekend. My name's Jeff. We haven't met before. I'd love to say hi to you and welcome to everybody watching online. Glad to have you guys here as well. We're in a, a series called Five Assumptions About God and Why They Are Wrong. And the series is built off of uh, this book that I just wrote and released. Love for you to get a copy of it. You can get it out in the lobby or you can get it off the bookstore online. Uh, I write these books. I don't write them for the money. I have yet to make any money on a book one of these days. But uh, I, I write them for the story. And uh, I'm not really even that great of a writer. In fact, a, a friend of mine, one of the best compliments I got about the book so far is a friend of mine said, I like your, I read your whole book and I love it because there's no big words in it. And I'm like, oh, all right, because I don't know how to spell big words. So uh, it's an easy read, but there's a lot in it. And I'd love for you to have it and pick it up. And we're kind of going through that together as a, uh, as a church family. So what we're doing is we're having a conversation. I kind of kick it off in here on the weekend. And then we're breaking into our life groups. And uh, like Keith said, there's hundreds and hundreds of us that have recently joined a life group. So if you go to a life group this week, you will not be the only new person. It's a great time to jump on. Uh, it's, it's the perfect time actually to do that. So really, really encourage you to do that. And what you'll find out, even this weekend, if, if this is your first week in this series, uh, there's not enough time in here to like process everything through. So it's in those life groups that we really, really put skin on these big ideas and then kind of figure out how it works in your life. You're able to kind of process that on a personal level. So I encourage you to, uh, to do that. So last weekend we started and we talked about the first assumption. And the first assumption was that what God wants from me is he just wants me to try harder. And uh, we got this idea, you know, we said <clears throat> there's certain things we respond to that Jesus never asked us. So for instance, Jesus never said, get your act together. Jesus said, never said, knock it off, cut it out, grow up. That's not how he approached it. He never asked who doesn't want to go to hell. Uh, Jesus said, who will come and follow me? Who will be changed by me, transformed by me, look like me, act like me, love the way that I do? Who will follow me and be my disciple? And we said those are very different questions than who doesn't want to go to hell or, or who will start cleaning their life up a little bit. And, and uh, Jesus is not looking for behavior modification. He's looking for heart transformation. And it shifts the way that we interact with him. If all, if all I have to do is follow a rule or two, rules are easy, because all I have to do is find the minimal requirement and meet it, right? I just have to drive 55 and not 56, and I'm good. But it's not what Jesus looked for. What Jesus said is, I want you to love me. That's what I want. I want you to love me. And to love God is an all-in proposition. In fact, there was this guy who was raised following the rules, and he went to Jesus one time. He asked him, basically, what's the minimum? What's the speed limit? And he said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said this in, in Matthew 22. He said, this is the greatest commandment. I want you to love the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And, and the that's the first one. The second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he said, what the, the rule is... The standard is love the Lord. Well, love is much more demanding than rule following. Love is much more demanding than getting your act together. It's much more demanding than, than self-discipline because to love someone is an all-in proposition. Jesus said, that's what I want with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind. In other words, I want all of you to be given to me. 
and I want you to kind of download all of me, the way that I think, the way that I'm motivated, who I am. And when you do that, your love for me is always going to show up in your love for people because that's kind of who I love the most. That's the passion of, of my heart. So does God just wants to keep the rules? Eh, it's a false assumption. And what happens is we start making up rules and modifying rules and you can never win with it and it, it turns into what we call legalism. It's just, it's just kind of hopeless. And, and we, can, we push that aside and, and the, another false assumption will be, well, now it's a free-for-all. And Jesus would be like, no, I want you to love the Lord and that's actually much more than following a few rules, much more than kind of straightening up. It's a whole buy-in proposition, and that's what he asked. He said, "Who? not who doesn't want to go to hell, who will come and follow me? Who will love me? Who will give all of themselves to me? So we talked about that for a long time last weekend, and I encourage you, if you missed it, go out online to our website, graceohio.org, and you can watch that or listen to it or get a podcast if you want. And and kind of fill in those blanks and catch up and read the book. Uh, I talk about that in the first chapter, so that'll help out too. But that's a life-altering shift in our thinking if we push aside that false assumption and lock into this truth that what Christ actually wants us to do is love the Lord, all right? So the next assumption then that I want to go to is number two, and it's this one, the one we're going to dig out this week. And it's this assumption that all God wants me to do is go to church, all God wants me to do is to go to church. Now, I was raised that way, and some of you were. Some of you were raised in the church, around the church. Some of you would look on the outside and say, oh, the only thing church people ever asked me to do is go to church with them. And it's what locks in this assumption. So some of you were, ra were raised going to church. And so you go three, four times a year, Easter, Christmas, faux show, or maybe Mother's Day kind of a thing, and you would go to church here and there, and a bunch of us were raised like that. Some of us were raised in church, that's a, so, and that's a big distinction in the church world. I was raised in church. So what that meant was that I was in church all the time. So we would go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night at a minimum, and then usually a fourth night for something, and then our social life revolved around the church. And so my life was engrossed in the church, right? And some of you weren't raised around the church at all, but that's the only thing you knew about God is people would look at you and say, you need to get to church. You better get those kids in church. If you want to save your marriage, you better start going to church, right? And so we, we get that idea out there all the time. I was raised like that. And my, when I was growing up, my church, you didn't miss church. You, you did not. It was like a moral sin to miss church. And there's only about 60 or 70 of us. So if you missed church, everybody knew, and they would ask you, where were you? I didn't see you last week in church. Mm, right? And I noticed you weren't in church last week. And they would kind of ask you those questions. And if you didn't have an answer, if you weren't like coughing up blood or something, like then, then you had no excuse to miss church. We would go to church on, on Super Bowl Sunday. You had, you had to miss the Super Bowl game. You had to turn it off halfway through and go to church. And that was before VCRs. You just had to miss it, right? And so you would just miss it because the shallow people canceled church for football, the committed people went to church despite whatever was going on with football. And that's just kind of the, the way that it, it works. We used to have this thing in my church growing up called sunrise service. I don't know if any of you had this growing up. Sunrise service is perhaps the most horrible thing ever invented from Satan. And so what, what this is sunrise service. Sunrise service was a church service before church service on Easter Sunday, but you sat outside. 
and you waited for the sun to rise. It was horrible. I hated it, right? And we had, I was a paper boy growing up. Now, a paper, let me explain what a paper was. They used to print the internet, and they put it on a paper, and then you would put it in people's houses so you guys know. So but that, that's what would happen. I was a paper boy, and then they would employ child labor to deliver the internet to people. And so I was a paper boy, and I had the, the Sunday route, and the Sunday papers used to be like mammoth, especially Easter Sunday was like mammoth, right? So I had to deliver my papers before sunrise service, which was before church on Easter. So my poor sister, Susan, would get up. She had her driver's license. She would drive me around the neighborhood at four o'clock in the morning so I could deliver my papers so I could go to sunrise service so I could have blood loss and skin damage on my rear end from sitting on metal folding chairs in sub-zero temperatures because Jesus rose again from the dead, right? And somehow that, that was what you did on sunrise service, right? And then you would come in and you would eat breakfast and then you'd have church. And, and it was always something like that. New Year's Eve, we had watch night service. You had to watch for the rapture every New Year's Eve, see if Jesus was gonna come back at 12.01, right? And so it was at all the time, church, 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 church. And if you missed it, then you weren't committed to Christ, and if you didn't go or it didn't work out or you had uh, something else going on in your life, then you weren't committed to Christ and you weren't committed to these people. And many of us have that type of assumption that that's what God wants. What happened for me then as I became a teenager and then especially in a college is I just started, because I was taught that kind of directly and then subtly, like you pick up those cues when you grow up in that culture, I was taught that, that if you didn't go to church, then you were in a deficit with God. So as I grew up, my faith never left the building with me. I, I was not a follower of Christ, but I would go to church. And, and I would go out in, in college and I would wake up wherever with whoever and whatever level of sobriety I happened to be in and I would go to church that Sunday morning because the thought was this, I had run up a credit card with God and now I have to pay it off. And if I don't get to church and pay it off, I'm gonna like lose my job and lose my house and, and go bald, you know what I mean? And so I'm just gonna like move all that, but I gotta get to church in order to stay right with God because that's what God wants. And so that assumption locks in, that that's what God wants. He wants me to come to a meeting and sit through it and endure it and do some rituals and do some routines and drop a little coin in the basket and that's going to please him. And I wanna argue a little bit that that is a false assumption about the heart and the mind of God. So let's pick at this a little bit and figure it out, okay? And let's start by just talking about what church is, what a church is. And here at Grace Church, we believe that the Bible would, would teach us this. We believe that the Bible would teach that the church is not a place, but that the church is a group of people. The church is not a place, the church is a group of people. We would say, you don't go to church, you are the church. And when you accept Christ as your savior, your sins are forgiven, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in your heart and you become a part of the church. It's a spiritual transaction that happens when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. So we don't believe that the church is a place. We're not sitting in church. We're in a building that we together own as a church because it's freezing outside, right? That's why we have this building. We gather together as a church. I'm the church, you're the church, we're the church. 
The me becomes the we and we gather together as a church, but it's not a holy place where we do holy things. It's a group of people that have been called out by God who want to serve him and know him and understand him. So the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia. So the writers of the New Testament, many of them would have spoken Greek or written in Greek. And so this word ekklesia means assembly or gathering. And we, our English word for that is church. So when the writers talk about the early grouping of believers, they called us the church. Right? We're the church of Jesus. We're the people who are called out, who follow Christ. We're little Christ. We're Christians. And when we gather together, where two or three are gathered together, we become the church, the gathered church or the assembled church of God. And that's what the early believers in the Bible would do. They would gather together so that they would learn. They would gather together to worship God and they would gather together to share their lives and their possessions with each other. And, and God said, I want you to do that. My church, I want you to gather like that and share your life with other people. Let them share their lives with you. Learn, learn from someone who's kind of, a, who's appointed by God. It's a spiritual thing to teach you, we would say the Bible, right? And then worship together, interact about God together. And that was the gathering of the church. God never talks about the church as an organization, he never talks about the church as a, as a not-for-profit, as a, as a tax status kind of a thing. He always talks about the church in relational terms. And what he does, he uses metaphors to describe the church. So when God uses metaphors to describe the church, he uses metaphors like uh, family. And so the church, the gathering, I'm the church, you're the church, we are the church. The church is a spiritual family, it's a relational idea. So how would I interact with my family? How would I share with my family? What would I tell to my family? What loyalty would I have to my family? That's descriptive of the church, not an organization that I interact with, but a family. Another metaphor God uses is, is a, a body. And so he says the church is the body of Christ. Maybe you've heard that term before. That's from the Bible. It's a metaphor. It's a description God uses of, of his church. So he says, we come together and we're many parts that create one thing. And he uses this description. He says, some of you are like a hand, some of you are like a foot, some of you are like a head, right? He, he just says, but we, we interact together. Our body, even though my hand is different than my foot, the same blood keeps life in both of them. They all work in conjunction with each other. Separate things become one thing, like a body, right? And, and we're the body of Christ, which means Christ is in that mix. I'm in Christ, Christ is in me. It's an interchange between those things. Uh, a third metaphor that God uses is that of marriage. And he says the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom. The church is the bride of Christ. He's, he's Christ's reward for his sacrifice. And again, it's a relational term. The, the husband and wife, the intimacy, the two become one. The oneness of the church in Jesus, and it's this idea that, that we, we are different, of course, than Christ, but we are one with Christ. We are loved and valued by Christ. It has nothing to do with organized religion, nothing to do with not-for-profit status, nothing to do solely with do good deeds and say nice things to people. It's a spiritual thing that God created that we call 
the church. Now we say things like I'm going to church or the church called, the church has a meeting, the church wants me to volunteer, the church. And when we talk about that, this is where it gets important, we're talking about that as an organization. I'm gonna go participate in an organization, the organization needs money, the organization needs volunteers. We'll talk about the church in that way. And it's fine, some of that's no big deal, it's just the way that we talk, unless that's the way we actually think about the church. That the church is a place that I go and I give goods and services to, right? That's how I thought about it. Oh man, I really messed up. I better go to corporate headquarters and pay my bill, right? I would interact with the church the same way I interact with my cell phone company. When, when they call and they, they say your bill's due, I pay my bill. Because our house, we could be out of food, out of water, out of electricity, out of shelter, clothing, and heat. And as long as the phones worked, everybody would be happy, right? So we, the, the first bill we pay, we'll, we'll go hungry before we don't have our cell phone bill pay. But the organization will call and say, you need to come and do this so that you can receive this benefit. And when we have that mindset with the church, I better give some money so that I get a blessing. I better go to church so that God stays on my side. I better show up and sit through it so that I pay off this spiritual credit card. You're, or, you're interacting with the church as an organization. It's not what it is. It's very different than I'm going to go be with my family Right? Very different than I am the body of Christ. You're the church wherever you go. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the church. You're the church whatever environment you're in in life. You're the church. So you are. You're the body of Christ. Very different than I can't wait to be together with the bride than a marriage idea. Right? It's a relational concept. So I, I said this in my notes. I said, I said every relationship requires organization, but organizations don't require relationships. So every relationship requires organizations, but organizations don't require relationships. My relationships with my family, we have to organize sometimes. Heidi uh, texted me yesterday, hey, this child's going here, and this one has lacrosse, and that one has basketball, and we're supposed to go, and we're going to have dinner together. It's, it's great. We have a relationship. We organize it. But when I go to pay my cell phone bill, I don't have a relationship with that organization. I'm a number. In fact, when I get mad at them, I'm reminded of that. And I look and say, I've been your customer for 25 years. What's your customer ID number? Can't you, can't you be graceful to me? No, no bill, phone shut off. You don't understand, my family will leave me. Don't care, right? So every relationship requires organization, but organizations don't require relationships. And if I flip that in my mind about the body, the family, the bride of Christ, and I interact with that relationship as if it's an organization with a headquarters in Rome somewhere, I've really missed the heart and the mind of God on his church. I've really missed what God really wants. If I'm just kind of clicking in my time, that's not at all where, where God has what he wants. But if I think about, I'm going to learn to worship, to share my life with other parts of the church, now we're starting to hunt down the right path, okay? So when I think about all this, I, I wrote this in, in my notes, and I think I put it on the screen for you. I said this, the church, the body of Christ, is the physical representation of Jesus on the planet. So when people interact with the church, when they interact with you personally and us corporately, 
When they interact with the church, it should be as if they're interacting with Christ. So here's God's desire for the church. Christ's desire is that the church would love people the way that Jesus would if he encountered the people that we encounter. That's the point of the church. That, that, that we would love people the way that Jesus would if he encountered the people that we encounter. We are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, another, another metaphor for the church, as if Christ himself were making his appeal through us. So we represent Christ. I do that personally because I'm the church wherever I go. And Jesus would look and say, Jeff, listen, I want you to love somebody the way that I would love them if I encountered who you encounter. And then we corporately, hey, Grace Church, in this uh, setting, hey, Grace Church, I want you guys to love people if, as I would if I encountered who you just encountered. You are my body. You're the physical representation. You're my family. You know, I talk to my kids a lot about our family name means something. When you interact with a bogue, it should mean something. When you interact with the church of Jesus Christ, it should mean something. And you're my bride, right? When you interact with Heidi, you're interacting with me. So the way that it works and vice versa. And this is what I want my people to do. I want you to love people the way that I would love them if I interacted with who you're interacting with, okay? And Jesus bottom lines it. I want you to love Lord your God and your neighbors yourself. I'm not asking you to click off a service. I want you to love the way that I have loved, right? Now, I wanna dig at this a little bit. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to John chapter 15. So if you got your Bibles, look at John chapter 15. It's page 752 in the Bibles and the chairs there. And it's all on the app if you want to use that. John chapter 15, page 752. And in John chapter 15 here in a second when we get there, we'll we'll pull it apart and you're going to see Jesus says love, 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 love. But before we get into all of that stuff where he's saying I want you guys to love, I think it's real important that we define what Jesus means by love. Because Jesus' definition of love is very different right now than our culture's definition of love. And if we plug in our cultural definition, we'll misunderstand what Jesus is saying, okay? So these words are semantics. It's not like the, you know, the, the culture's all wrong about everything. I just want to clarify, be sure that we know exactly what the Bible means by love. So when Jesus tells us here in a minute to love each other, and he wants his church to be marked that way, He's talking about biblical love. Now here in a nutshell is what biblical love means. Biblical love, I love someone biblically when I help them to understand the heart, mind, and the character of God. That's what biblical love is. I'm helping you understand or I am representing or I'm the physical expression of the heart, the mind, and the character of God. Right? So to love you biblically means that when you interact with me, it's as if you're interacting with Jesus, as if he encountered you himself. And then I do that as the Apostle Paul says, as an ambassador, as if Christ himself is making his appeal through me. So, so it's very important that when you interact with me, the message I give you is a clear representation of the heart, the mind, and the character of, of God. Okay, that's biblical love. Now, Cultural love right now is very different. Cultural love is this. Cultural love, we would say this. You love me if you accept whatever I think, feel, or do. 
culturally. You love me if you accept whatever I think, feel, or do. In fact, if you don't accept what I think, feel, or do, you hate me. So if you look, if you look at my actions and you say they're not right or you disagree with them, you hate me because you don't accept what I do. If you look at my opinions and you say, you know, I don't know if you're, opinion, I don't know if you're thinking the right way, you hate me, you're arrogant because you don't accept what I think. Even my feelings, if I feel a certain way or identify myself in a certain way, if you don't accept that it, as completely valid, then you hate me. That's, that's kind of the way our culture thinks right now. So biblical love I, I'm gonna, I love you by helping you understand the heart, the mind, and the character of Christ. That's what Jesus is gonna talk about. The way that we use the word love is you only love me if you accept what I think, feel, or do. And if you don't do that, then not only do you not love me, but you hate me in that way, okay? So biblical love is what Christ is about ready to talk about here in John chapter 15. Let's start at verse nine. And this is, this is what he says. He says this, this is all Jesus' words. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll remain in my love, just, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you my servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, appointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whether you ask, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, that you love each other, okay? So let, let's pick this apart a little bit. Jesus says, well, this is what I want. I want my people, the ecclesia, who have been called out and assemble to gather, right, the church, the people called by my name, and then they assemble in my name, those individuals that become this group. I want you to love each other, and I want you to love each other the way that I have loved you. Now, let's just think about this here for a second. Look at uh, verse 13. This is what the Bible says. He says, here's my command. I call you out, all this kind of things, but here's what I want. My command is this, to love others as I have loved you. To love each other as I have loved you. Now, let's just pause and dig at this for a minute. So my command is to love each other as I have loved you. How has Christ loved us? That's the question. Okay, how does Christ love us? When Christ expresses love for us, when we read Jesus' stories and the accounts of who he is in the scripture, how did he love us so that we could mimic it? Did he love us by accepting whatever we think, feel, or do? Well, no, he didn't. In fact, it's a little bit of the opposite. Jesus came and he said, listen, what you think, feel, or do is, is oftentimes taking you down a path of destruction that's gonna lead to death. So he didn't, he didn't love us by accepting whatever we think, feel, or do. Oftentimes he interrupted what we think, feel, or do. 
says, listen, if you keep down this path of, of immorality, it's going to lead to destruction. If you keep down this path of idolatry, it's going to go to destruction. Down this path of gossip and murder, it's going to go to destruction. There's like a list of things in the Bible. And God throws those out and says, listen, I, I want you to know this. You don't know that by, by doing whatever you think, feel, or do, you're actually moving further and further away from me. So Jesus loved us by interrupting that process. And what did he do? He showed us what he learned from his father. I want you to know my father's heart, mind, and character. You are living in greed and idolatry. My father thinks that that is sinful. Uh, my father's character is perfect, so he cannot accept that. You got to know that you're out of tune with God. God cannot accept what, what you're doing. But here's his, here's, his, here's his mind. He loves you and wishes that none would perish. So he sent me to die for you. See, I, wanna, I want you to understand. I'm interrupting what you're doing. I'm going to love you enough to interrupt what you're doing express to you what it is, why it is, what God thinks about it, and what he did about it, right? And I, I, want, I want to love you that way. I'm going to let you know the heart, mind, and character of God. I'm actually not going to accept whatever you think, feel, or do, because I truly love you. So Jesus, in part, is saying, here, here's the command, love each other like that. Love each other by expressing the heart, mind, and the character of God. Love each other enough to possibly even intervene in each other's lives. Love each other enough to be the, the sole voice who's not going around, going along with whatever, whatever cultural stream happens to be flowing at the time. But, but I love you enough to express to you the heart, mind, and the character of God. Now, the next thing he says is fascinating because he, he, you might say, well, how do I do that then? And so thankfully, Jesus explains it, and he, he, says, he says this, my command is that you love each other as I love you. What does that look like? And then he explains it. He says it looks like this. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. So you loving as I have loved doesn't look like you screaming at people. You loving as I love doesn't look like, you know, posters and placards that says God hates that's not what it looks like. It doesn't look like uh, I'm going to amplify your sin over my sin. You know, I'm a, I'm a glutton and I'm a gossip, but at least I'm not. Okay? You loving each other as I have loved you is going to look like laying down your life. That's what it's going to look like. You're going you're gonna to lay down your life for each other and you're going to lay down your life for your neighbor. In fact, you're going to love like I've loved. You're going to lay down your life for your enemy. That's what I want. So you want me to go to church? No, I want, I want you to love each other. And so you might, you might take everything you have and sell it and give it to the poor. You, you might, you might, you might absorb wrongs and forgive as you've been forgiven. You, somebody may just lie about you and beat the snot out of you and you, you might turn the other cheek. A government official may put an undue burden on you 
because you're a follower of me. And what you're going to do is, is you're going to walk two miles with that burden instead of one. That, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look like laying your life down. It's not going to look anything like separatism. It's not going to look anything like a judgmental behavior. It's not going to look anything like that because that's not the way I looked. I, I would kind of call out, you know, just say it like it is because I love you enough to interfere because you, you, you know, you're way off track. I want you to know my father's heart, mind, and character. But ultimately what I did was I gave my life while you were still sinners, God-haters, I laid my life down for you. And then he says something fascinating. He says something directly to us. He says, I laid down my life for my friends, and that's what you are. See? <clears throat> you are my friends. He says, you're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Now I call you friends. It's a fascinating thing. He said, guys, you're not my servants. You're not, I'm not saying say, come, put in your money, say this prayer, you memorize, you don't even think about it anymore, do these rituals, get out of here and be back tonight. See, I'm not, we're not servants pacifying a God who's gonna zap us if we don't walk into his holy building and do his holy thing and say his holy words. We're not servants, we're friends of Christ. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm a friend of Christ. I interact with him like a healthy family, like a healthy marriage, as if he's me and I'm him, like a body. We're friends. What, what, how do we know we're friends? Because we know the master's business. Or you, could, you could take the word master out and put the word father in. You know my father's business. Everything I learned from my father, I've taught to you. You're on the inside. You're not coming, oh God, I pay homage to you. Don't make me go bald this way. That's not what you're doing. You're coming in as friends. You are friends. You're the bride. You come, you love. You're the family. And you come in and you come and worship and interact with me. You're friends because you know what everything's about. You're not on the outside looking in and there's a few holy men who only know what God's doing. If you're a follower of Christ, you're, you're my friend. And the father's business, the master's business, you know exactly what it is. You know what God wants. You know how God loves. You know what God's priorities are. You know what God would want his resources spent on. You know what God's bride is trying to do. You know what God's body is about. You know what God's family is up to. There's no secret. You're on the inside. In fact, you're a friend later on. Jesus says you're a brother or a sister. You're a co-heir with Jesus Christ. You're an adopted child of, of God the Father. You're as on the inside as you could possibly be. So you know the family business. Let's be about the family business. This is what the family does. So what do you want me to do? And then Jesus sums up. He says, here's the command. Here's a big command. This is my command. He says this in verse 17. My command is that you love each other. That's the command. Simple. Easy peasy. Well, how many times are we supposed to go to church? You love each other. Families that love each other gather. Husbands and wives that love each other get together. Yeah, I hadn't seen Heidi in a few days. I had been traveling. I've been traveling a lot here lately during the week. You know what I did? I did something 
totally out of character, something probably borderline sinful, something I absolutely hate to do. You know what I did? I went grocery shopping with her. She looked at me, she goes, in 23 years, she goes, I'm not sure you ever volunteered to go grocery shopping with me. I'm like, I know, I really miss you, right? I just wanted to be with her, because I love her. See? This is what a marriage is, a body is, a family is, what friends do. That's the command. Command is not complicated. It's, it's complex to execute because love is much more difficult than rules. Love is much more demanding than ritual. And we would look and say that's what the church is. The church is the community in which all of this love is expressed, given, and exported. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, you know how people will know that you're my disciples? How they'll, they'll know you're my family, my bride, my body, my friends. You know how people will know that? People will know that because of your love for each other. Isn't that fascinating? The, church, the hallmark of the church of Jesus Christ should never be a system. It should never be a building. It should never be what we oppose. The hallmark of the, of the church of Jesus Christ should be this illogical, abundant, obnoxious, stubborn love for each other, for our neighbor, and even for our enemies. And if Jesus encountered your brother or sister in Christ, you ever heard that term? Because we're family. If he encountered them, if he encountered your neighbor, if he encountered your enemy, how would he interact with them? That is what the body of Christ does in his stead. That's why we're on the planet. See? That love's gonna look different. That love sometimes is gonna look like ridiculous compassion. You know, why, why do you guys care? Why do you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars feeding people on the other side of the planet. Oh, because it's what Christ would do. So, and, and so we pool our money. You can feed some, we can feed hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands. So we pool our money. Why do you guys, you guys are like a suburban church. Why do you care about prostitutes in Akron? This is what we do. It's what Jesus would do, right? He, 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 forgave several prostitutes, changed their life. So that's what he would do. That's what, why would you own that? Because he, it, it's a ridiculous love, it's what we do. Sometimes, sometimes it looks like that. Sometimes it looks like a ridiculous, stubborn love for each other. How many times is that guy gonna fall off the wagon? I don't know, but I'm here next time. I just hang around. I'm gonna outlove you, I'm gonna outlast you. Right, it won't go away. Sometimes it looks like that. Sometimes that love is a tough love. It's an intervention love. Sometimes we'll go together. Bible says go once, they don't listen, go twice. If they don't listen, take the church. And so sometimes we go as a church and we say, listen, bro, if you do not quit drinking, you're go it's an intervention. You're going to blow up your family. If you do not break this relationship, and quit texting this guy. You're gonna lose your husband and your children. You must 
Stop it. If you do not, if you have to, you have to walk away from pornography. You have to. It is polluting your relationship. You are, you are objectifying your sisters in Christ. It cannot be this way. So sometimes it's an intervention love. And then the Bible says this. It says real love sometimes even disciplines. The Bible says that. That God disciplines those he loves as his own children. So the Bible even says as a, as a church, sometimes individually you, the church, may discipline your children. And sometimes we, the church, have to discipline people within the church. Listen, if you do not come back to your wife and your kids, and break, then you will not be allowed in this community anymore. Well, you hate me because you're not accepting whatever I think, feel, or do. I love you. I'm the only person in your life that's going to take this stand. I don't know what else to do. See? You have to know that you're breaking the heart of God. You have to know that God knows how this is going to destroy your children. You have to know that God will not, cannot tolerate this kind of hard-heartedness. You have to change. I'm begging you. It's love. And what God would say is you, you give that to each other and you give that to the people around you, right? Now, you could boil down the question then and say, well, Jeff, if it's all love and it's all family and it's all marriage, like, so are we supposed to go to church? I kind of waste my morning here. What am, I, what am I doing? And the answer is, Yes, you're supposed to go to church. Why? Because it seems like you just pushed against that. Because God said, go to church. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, he says, not giving up meeting together or assembling, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. God actually comes in and he says to his followers, I want you, in fact, he says, I command you to gather now, why would he do that? All right, why would he say, you go to church, is what we would say. You gather together, you family of God, you assemble together as local churches. Why would you do that? This is why. Because relationships will always have organization in them, but you don't have to have organizations that have relationships. In order for us to have a relationship, we have to organize ourselves. And so that is not organized religion, it's organized relationship. And God knew this, and he looked at his people for all of time. He says, listen, don't give up meeting together. Some of you have done that, and you fall away. You keep meeting together, because if you're not together, if, if you're not learning together and worshiping together and sharing life with each other, you will drift away from these relationships. And then later on, the Apostle Paul, who is establishing the church, uh, kind of showing us how it works, he says, this is, when you get together, do this. When you get together, have a person who has a spiritual gift of prophecy and teaching teach you the Bible. That's why we, we gather like this. It's actually right out of the Bible. Do that. Well, how come? Because if you don't pause and take time to, and, and hear about, the, hear about the God's word, then, then you, you won't do it. You won't get around to it. It'll drift away. When you get together, worship. So the way that we often worship is with music. That's why there's music in our services every week. So get, really take time and pause and get your heart and your mind on God. 
And then be sure that you get together and share your life. There's 57 different commands in the Bible that you cannot do if you don't have other Christians as a part of your life. You can't pray for each other. You can't confess your sins to one another. You can't bear each other's burdens. You can't rejoice with those who rejoice. You can't mourn with those who mourn. You can't encourage each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and on and on and on. You can't do those things unless you're together. So God says, don't give up meeting together like some of you did. Why would he say that to the ancient world to us? Because the ancient world was just as busy as we are. They didn't have soccer leagues and bowling leagues and softball leagues. They had like planting, reaping, hunting, survival. And so they, they worked like crazy and their kids were working with them so they could eat and survive. We live a different kind of life. We just fill our lives up by running around. And to all believers of all time, God says, listen, stop and meet or you won't have relationships with each other. And by the way, popping in a service and sitting through it doesn't count. And watching online doesn't either. It's a start. It's a stepping point. Good job. I'm not saying quit doing it. But it's deeper than that. God says, you've got to share your life. You have to know each other. So it's, it's fine to sit and hear a teacher in a big room or on the internet. It's fine to worship you know, by, you know, together and by yourself a little bit. It's not that those things are wrong. But that's not the depth of a relationship with a family. It's not that de- you put that, that habit into a marriage and you're headed toward a divorce. See? So God said, I want you to know and I want you to interact with each other and you have to organize that from time to time. Right? And that's no big deal. We do that all the time. It's the same reason you have your buddies over for the game. It's the same reason you have a cookout. It's the same reason that you, you have a family reunion because you, we all know, in if we don't gather, it's out of sight, out of mind. And so we do that deliberately. I have a, a few friends, uh, three guys I'm very, very close to and I love very deeply. And uh, we're all kind of in the same stage of life. We all have very big jobs. We all have very young kids. And we want to be friends. We want to share our lives with each other. And the only way for us to do that right now in our lives is to organize because we don't get our families together because our families are off usually throwing a ball in one form or fashion somewhere. And so we're doing that and running around, right? And so we just don't have much of a social life, but we want to maintain this friendship. So you know what we do? Once a quarter, we get together. We start at eight o'clock at night. And we usually finish about two or three in the morning. And what we do is we sit in one of their basements and we talk. That's it. That's it. Sometimes there's hummus involved. That's it. Right? We love each other. We want to be together. We want to be close with each other. The only way to pull that off at our phase of life is to organize it. And then we're all kind of old, fat, middle-aged guys, and, and then we're, we, we can't think for the next week because we stayed up too late. It happens. It doesn't, it doesn't go, apparently it gets worse, right? But we, we have to, every relationship has organization to it. Most organizations don't require any relationship. And God would look at you and me and say, hey, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the church. That's who you are. And don't give up meeting together, right? We do it once a week here, and we do life groups. There's a thousand ways to meet together. There's nothing particularly sacred about the way we do it. It just kind of works in Akron, Ohio. It's no big deal. 
And, and it's not the end of the world if you miss once in a while. That's not a big deal. It doesn't make you less of a believer. But boy, you start, you click, click church out of your life, you're gonna be hurting. You click life groups out of your life, you're gonna be hurt. You're not gonna be as focused on Christ. You're not gonna be as dying. You're not gonna be, why? Because it's a team sport, right? Does God want you to go to church? No, not like we've been talking about paying the credit card off, doing your dues. He doesn't care about that. It's worthless. Does God want you to be the church? Now we're barking up the right tree. Does God want his church to gather yeah. Is this a sacred, holy building? No, it's just cold outside. It's bricks and steel. Do a sacred, holy people get together in this room? Now we're thinking about it correctly. The people of God, see. And do we love each other? Yeah. By just, you know, accepting everything? No, that's actually hate. Would we love each other by being in each other's lives and sharing and loving and laughing and pushing and, right? See how that works? And that's what God wants. And that's what fires and is a big, huge part of, uh, of our interaction with God. Okay? All right, let me give you a couple things to think about before the band comes out. Here, here's the first question. Do you, do you see yourself as the church personally? It's a, it's a big shift. I don't go to church. The church isn't like Jeff and the staff, like this group of people. Do you see yourself <clears throat> as the church of Jesus Christ? And the second question is kind of tied to it. If you are, then do you allow other people in? Are you sharing your life with other people and allowing them to share their lives with you? Oh, Jeff, it's so hard, they're so messed up. I'm pretty sure that's the point. Like, it's great to celebrate and encourage each other. It's huge, it's important. It will probably grow you faster, further spiritually if you have to learn to live with a messed up person in your life. We're all gonna sin against each other. That's what human beings do best. And me learning how to respond to your sin the way that Jesus did in biblical love is a huge part of my relationship with God and a huge part of my spiritual growth. So the joy and the frustration of other people is what God would say. You love each other like that. You love your neighbors like that. You love even your enemies like that, all right? And here's the last thing. Do you love Jesus by loving his church? I had a conversation many years ago now with a guy. He was mad at me. So he made an appointment, came to my office to yell at me, which is a blast. And so he's uh, in my office yelling at me. I'm just kind of listening. And he said, Jeff, he goes, here's the, here's the issue. I'm like, okay. He said, the, he goes, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. And I looked at my friend and I said, then you don't love Jesus. You don't love Jesus. You can't love Jesus and hate his bride. You can't love me and hate Heidi. If you hate Heidi, you hate me. We're one thing. You can't look forward to being with me and dread being with Heidi. You can't, she, she is me. I am her. The two become one. 
you can't even you can't even really know me if you don't know Heidi. You can have impressions of me and assumptions about me, and some of them are right, and I bet you some of them are wrong. But if Heidi was in the room, it'd be amazing what she straightened out. You can't love Christ and hate his bride. You can't follow Christ and exclude his bride. You can't just watch messages about Christ and never know his bride, his family, his mind. You can't understand me if you don't know my children, if you don't know my family. It's impossible to really know each other. You can't love Jesus and hate the church. And I know, guys, that gets complicated. It was for me because there's lots of pain and people lied to you and a guy said it was this way and it's not and I had to live that life too. And people in the name of Jesus sinned against you and hurt you and they're so difficult and right. But if you love me and you had tension with Heidi, you'd work out your tension with Heidi. You'd be committed to that. If you loved Heidi and you didn't click with me, you'd find a way to click with me so that you could be around Heidi, right? We're one thing. And what God says, he says, here's the rule. You love each other. Your family, you make it work. You find a way, you address it, we process it through. We don't just change churches. What are you talking about? This, I'm gonna get a different cell phone plan? Pay my bill somewhere else? You don't just change families. You don't just change a marriage. You don't just amputate part of the body. Nothing like that did Christ have in mind. As we think and we pray, I just just want you to kind of download on those levels. The church is something different to Christ than it often is to us. And but we were raised. This isn't your fault. We were raised. Me too. You go and you pay your bill. And you walk out, it doesn't really affect you. And that, that grieves the heart of God. Jesus didn't need to die so that we could throw some dollar bills in a basket and leave. That was overkill. But to birth, to create a spiritual family, to marry, right? Okay, I'll pray, the man will come out, and you think and pray it all through. Jesus, we love you. Help us with this. It's a, it's a big paradigm shift, God, because this false assumption is so ingrained in us. <clears throat> so help us with it, Lord. On the most personal of levels, clarifying our mind and our heart, help us to overcome pain and hurt and lies and all the junk we grow up with. And Lord, even the, the voices in, the, in our culture that tell us that the church is this, and Lord, help us to move past that and understand, just kind of download what, what our actual reality with the church has been. And God, give us a love for each other, for our neighbors, for our, our enemies, for you and for your bride. Help us to that end, even now, Jesus, in your name, amen.